Okay, let's go ahead and get started. I know I tend to do a lot of reading anyway, but I'll probably be doing more reading today because it was just one of those weeks. So that's not an excuse. It's an invitation to interrupt me and uh, you know, make it more of a dialogue um, as appropriate. So please, please, please do that. Um, let's open in a word of prayer this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to uh, learn about you, uh, learn about the way that you have created us, and um, pray that today you would uh, help us to learn from this uh, lesson on work and idolatry, that it would be uh, convicting and that we would see the power of the gospel um, and the opportunity that uh, we have to uh, take these things to you and um, how you uh, bring about change in our lives. And uh, so we pray that you would be with our uh, discussion this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, so we continue our discussion about the topic of work and vocation. Today, I'm going to be focusing on how work exposes our idols. So idolatry is something that uh, we hear a lot in kind of church language. Um, it's something that um, you've heard Tim talk about. You've heard people in here talk about. Um, so we'll get into um, kind of what we mean when we're talking about that. And then specifically in the context of work, um, what does that look like? How is, how is our work exposing um, you know, the idols in our lives? Um, and then beyond that, how our work as worship helps us replace those idols with an orientation towards Christ. Um, so far, over the last few weeks, we've talked about work um, as vocation. We've talked about how what God's design for work is, that work is good, um, that it has dignity, that it's so that we can cultivate his creation, um, that we can serve others. Um, those are different ways that God has designed work. And then uh, last week, we started talking about the frustration that sin introduced into the created order and is something that we experience every day um, in our work. And again, when we're talking about work here, um, I want as general of an application to that as possible. The goal here is to make this um, be very applicable to you, whether you're um, in school or retired or anything in between. And I think that there's, um, there's some wisdom here from scripture and what we see in the world. Um, observations about uh, things that Scripture tells us um, that are applicable to you in any of those um, stations of life. So, um, <clears throat> like I said, you know, idolatry is language that, um, you know, we've heard used a lot. Um, so what do we mean by idolatry? I think that it's common to... Um, it's not a culturally uh, common term, right? We don't think, in, in the culture, we don't encounter the term idolatry very often. Uh, we might think of, you know, statues or kind of primitive people, you know, worshiping something out in the jungle. Like that might be what our mind thinks of when we think of idolatry. Um, but if we think of ourselves and everybody around us primarily as worshipers. We are all worshipers. We're all worshiping something. Um, 
that's going to help us understand that idolatry is trying to get at um, what we worship. What's the object that we are worshiping? And um, that it's not some, not just some external, um, you know, like I said, you know, worshiping some you know statue in the jungle. It's a heart issue. So if we look at Ezekiel 14, uh, 3 through 7, it, it talks about this. Son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts, set and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? Therefore speak to them and say to them, thus says the Lord God, anyone of the house of Israel who takes his idols into his heart and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and yet comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes with the multitude of his idols, that I may lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel, who are all estranged from me through their idols. And I refer to this passage because it's it's showing us, it's talking to us about how our idolatry is within us. It's within our hearts is what it estranges us from God. And we see that language used throughout Scripture, um, you know, the the first and um, second commandments specifically talk about um, not having any other gods um, and not worshiping um, idols. Uh, so I'm going to look at the Heidelberg Catechism and the Westminster Shorter Catechism for some additional help on fleshing this out. So question 95 of the Heidelberg Catechism is what is idolatry? And the answer is, idolatry is instead of or besides that one true God who has manifested himself in his word to contrive or to have any other object in which men place their trust. So we're going to come back to that language, but it's about placing your trust in something other than God. And then the Westminster Shorter Chasms, Shorter Catechism, um, specifically on the First Commandment, what is forbidden in the first commandment? The first commandment forbiddeth the denying or not worshiping and glorifying the true God as God and our God and the giving of that worship and glory to any other which is due to him alone. So when we think about idolatry, I want to think of us as an idol being any object, idea, or thing um, to which we are giving worship and glory in which we're placing our trust, or in which we're placing our trust that belongs solely to God. So that's what we're talking about. And I'm going to read a, this is a lengthy quote from Martin Luther's commentary on the Ten Commandments. So bear with me. I think there's some really good stuff in this. So many a one thinks that he has God and everything in abundance when he has money and possessions. He trusts in them and boasts of them with such firmness and assurance as to care for no one. Lo, such a man also has a God, money and possessions, on which he sets all his heart, and which is also the most common idol on earth. He who has money and possessions feels secure and is joyful and undismayed as though he were sitting in the midst of paradise. On the other hand, he who has none and is despondent as though he knew of no God, so too, whoever trusts and boasts that he has, that he possesses great skill, prudence, power, favor, friendship, and honor has also a God. 
but not this true and only God. This appears again when you notice how presumptuous, secure, and proud people are because of such possessions, and how despondent they are when they no longer exist or are withdrawn. Therefore, I repeat, the chief explanation of this point is that to have a God is to have something in which the heart entirely trusts. Thus it is with all idolatry, for it consists not merely of erecting an image and worshiping it, but rather in the heart which stands gaping at something else and seeks help and consolation from creatures, saints, or devils, and neither cares for God nor looks to him for so much good as to believe that he is willing to help, neither believes that whatever good it experiences comes from God. Ask and examine your heart diligently, and you will find whatever it cleaves to God, you will find whatever or find whether it cleaves to God alone or not. If you have a heart that can expect of him nothing but what is good, especially in want and distress, and that moreover renounces and forsakes everything that is not God, then you have the only true God. If on the contrary, it, talking about your heart, cleaves to anything else of which it expects more good and help than of God, and does not take refuge in him, but in adversity flees from him, then you have an idol, another God. So Luther is calling us to look outward um, for our idols, not to look outward for our own idols, but in our own hearts, similar to that same verse that we saw in Ezekiel. Um, And idolatry manifests itself in our work. Um, We'll go through some of the specifics, but it should not be difficult to see how... um, how the idle factory of our heart is, you know, busy um, in our work. And I think that functionally, when we're looking at, you know, what is an idol, um, that uh, in counterfeit gods, uh, Keller's uh, description, he, he uses three basic metaphors of love, trust, and obey. Things that you love, trust, and obey, those are um, idols. And so these are the same same themes that we see in Luther's commentary, um, and it's helpful in trying to diagnose what idols we might have in our own hearts, particularly in this context of work. So when we think about idolatry um, in terms of work, we are most likely, our, our natural proclivity is probably to identify like someone who's a workaholic. That's who we're picturing in our mind when we think about someone who um, has idolatry um, in their work. Maybe someone who the job itself is the idol. Um, you know, who the guy that doesn't see his wife or kids because he's working all the time. And um, and maybe we think of extreme examples of people who really just you know worship money. They're out to get whatever they can, um, and that um, you know they're sacrificing whatever they need to on the altar of work. But um, while those are examples, certainly, of idolatry in the context of work, I think it's a a gross error for us to think that this lesson is about those type of people only. Um, I doubt that many here um, could probably uh, be accused of, you know, the work itself being an idol in our lives. 
but it probably our work very often serves other idols that in our, are in our hearts. Um, I mean, I can say with certainty that in whatever work we do, all of us have idols pop up. Um, and we are serving those idols often um, in our work and with our work. Um, the other thing to note here is that it's not like our idols just um, pop up when we like pull up to our workplace or whatever and say, you know, hey, I'm your idol, let's get to work. Um, it's much more subtle than that. You know, we are, we're kind of the frog in the, in the boiling water, right? That's the temperature slowly rising. And, um, maybe those things in our hearts that were already there are kind of percolating and coming to the uh, surface. But it's important for us to think about these things and particularly in the context of work, I think, because, um, there is so much warning throughout scripture about, um, idolatry. Uh, first John, um, chapter five, verses 20 and 21, we read, and we know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, <clears throat> Keep yourselves from idols. So that, that's the warning that John is giving, and that's the, that's the same motivation, reason why we're talking about that today. So, um, you know, there's a few different idols that I think are, lend themselves to kind of specific, um, discussion. Um, so the one, I kind of broken them down into money and materialism, success and glory, security and control. So those are the four that I want to focus on. But um, once we talk about those, I'm also going to ask if what other idols people see either in their own hearts or around them that um, are worth um, mentioning and, and talking about. So um, we'll start with um, money and materialism, which is one of the easiest idols to identify tied to work. Um, and uh, that's because most of us, um, our work is tied to material compensation. You know, not, not all of us, but um, for a lot of us, that is, you know, we're working to earn money in some capacity. In Colossians 3, 5, we read, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Um, it's not difficult to see how this is tied to work as the primary way that people acquire things is through their work. Um, <clears throat> and while we could, well, it, I think it's also a very large part of our culture um, that we see around us, so it's worth uh, paying some special attention to. Um, <clears throat> Lee Hardy writes, we often associate the dominance of work with the materialism of our age. People tend to evaluate themselves by the things that they own because they see little else to life than ownership of things. They readily give themselves entirely to the vehicle for acquiring more things, their work. 
So many in, put in extra hours of moonlight because they want or think they need more money for the down payment on their dream house, monthly payments for their next car, or to finance some expansion of their worldly estate. Indeed, the God of gain is a demanding employer. And then in Luke um, 16, we see Jesus addressing this idol with specificity. No servant can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. This, <clears throat> this is a specific uh, false master that Jesus is addressing, is money and greed. And it is our work that gives us access to those idols often, um, if that's something that, that is an idol in our lives. Paul Tripp writes, <clears throat> In many ways, which most of us are daily unaware we tell ourselves that if we are able to possess and experience what we have come to treasure, then we will be satisfied and happy and finally experience that inner rest that every human being desires. We all live, if I only had blank, lives. <clears throat> it's really true. Whatever sits on the other side of your if only is what you truly desire. And I think that in our daily experience, it's easy to do this because that's what we see all around us. Um, it's not just found in our hearts, but it's reflected in, as a cultural um, idol. We live in a time and place where we're very comfortable. Um, as society, we can afford um, so many different things. Um, and many of us are quietly obsessed with obtaining heaven on earth through the arrangement and gathering of our possessions. You know, it's, it's such a contrast to, say, thinking about the Lord's Prayer, uh, which is focused on, you know, giving us each day our daily bread. Um, we aren't operating on that sort of a mindset of dependence on God or need of Him most of the time. Um, often we're operating on a false assumption that we are able to provide for ourselves, operating our own little fiefdoms where we serve ourselves um, and money. Because we are comfortable, we do not see face-to-face -face our daily need for sustenance, and it's easy for us to hide um, our allegiance um, to that idol. Tripp continues, Perhaps what many of us attempt to do on Sunday is switch kings. Because the king we have come into the room to worship is not actually the king we have been serving all week. If you have to farm out your children to some care provider because you have a spouse, because you and your spouse have to work to maintain the upper middle class lifestyle that you think you cannot live without, you have worshiped king money all week. If you work more than you should to acquire more wealth and power, you are worshiping king money. If your security is found in how much Money is in your bank account. How nice your house is. How hot your car is. You are doing homage to king money. If you get more personal excitement shopping than you do attending your church's worship service, maybe the mall is your temple, and perhaps money really is the king you serve. 
So it's very easy for us to make work and its product, the, the money that we earn, um, our functional God. Um, and this sentiment is laid out in 1 Timothy 6 as well. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, and into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some of us have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So our work exposes um, these things, um, like I said, because it's the primary means that we have to acquire um, and provide for ourselves and our families. And this is not, this lesson is not to say that acquiring things um, is all bad or that acquiring money is bad. But when it is, when we're serving that instead of serving God, um, that's where um, we see the idolatry that we've been talking about um, very present. Yep? I was struck a few months ago they had a piece on which channel it was, but they were talking to people that had invested their entire life savings with Bernie Madoff. And um, <clears throat> one of the common themes that you talking to people you read is that they put their trust. Their trust mm-hmm. that he was going to multiply. And, uh, how devastating the future of the world Yeah. I'll talk a little bit that, about that too when we talk about the idol of security. That um, where we feel our rest in our you know temporal position you know where we have um, whether it's you know the, the the security of the money itself or maybe the job or or whatever there's lots of different ways um, that it exposes what's in our hearts what's important to us what is the ultimate thing to us. Um, so and I think one of the ways that um, that, you know, worshiping or, or the idolatry of kind of money and materialism can manifest itself as how we spend our time at work, um, what sort of decisions we make about our job, um, you know, career goals. Um, these are things that we have to, there's no one-size-fits-all answer to these things. These are things that we have to take before the Lord and examine our hearts and make sure that we are um, subjecting those things to the um, Lordship of Christ. But it, it's important for us to think about what's important to us and what we're serving um, by doing that. And, and I think that we may not want to admit it oftentimes, but um, you know, materialism and greed can be a driving motivation for, for many of us. So the... Um, Second idol I want to talk about is success and glory. Um, and again, this is a very common idol that we see in the workplace. So work is an area where we're rewarded for what we do, even if it isn't for pay. So um, it could be the success of getting um, everything on our to-do list done or um, you know, getting praise for a... Uh, 
an essay turned in or something like that. Um, I think it's very common for, for many of us to look to the affirmation and the, um, you know, being able to say I'm the master of this particular task or this particular subject um, as being um, something that we take great glory in. Going back to the uh, first part of Genesis in the garden, we see God creating and then saying it was good, um, affirming creation and affirming his work. But God is not defined by the goodness of his creation. His value does not come from being a good creator. Um, yet we so often take this drive for approval and affirmation to find our self-worth in the recognition that our work is good. Um, whether it is working for your boss to acknowledge your work or waiting for uh, that compliment and how well your kids behaved or how wonderful dinner is or how you did a great job of fixing the you know, broken cupboard, um, whatever it is, uh, when success and glory for what we have done becomes our drive, um, we begin to serve it rather than God. Uh, Keller writes, more than other idols, personal success and achievement lead to a sense that we are ourselves are God, that our security and value rests in our wisdom, in our strength, in our performance. To be the best at what you do, to be at the top of the heap means no one is like you. You are supreme. And very often we can see that motivating us, driving us to do what we do. Um, in the context of the workplace, Lee Hardy writes, many of those passionately devoted to their careers are not just out to get rich. They have, it seems, an insatiable need for challenge, accomplishment, and public recognition. It's not so much the God of gain that they serve as the God of glory, and they are willing to render their lives a living sacrifice on the altar of their chosen profession so that their God may grant what they so desperately desire. In that, Josh, is also the integrated uh, personal affirmation. Yeah. That you're saying you know, that some people you know, some people are always looking for you know, yep. that way attitude. Yeah, that's, that's exactly. While commenting on how we seek out personal affirmation often uh, in the same way. And, you know, I see that a lot in... Um, in, in my line of work, because, you know, uh, as a litigator, attorney, like people take great um, confidence and fulfillment out of winning. You know, it's being on top, you know, being, you know, I don't lose sort of an attitude. And um, you see whether or not it's being driven by, you know, materialism just that desire for to bring glory to themselves, to be the, the best, um, is very, very present. Um, and, uh, you know, to be fair, who doesn't like to be successful, right? Um, and it's not to say that success or excellence are not good things. They are. Um, as we talk, I mean, we've talked about previously and we'll talk about more, one of the most significant ways we even serve God through our work is doing it with excellence as unto the Lord. We're serving the Lord in excellence. Um, 
And it's not ba even bad necessarily to feel the uh, sense of accomplishment. But it's often those good things that get turned into idols in our heart. So when needing or wanting to feel that rush again becomes the driving force in our life, when we need it for our identity, when we are living for that next rush, we are, we are engaged in idolatry. Again, uh, to quote Lee Hardy, one small taste of success and public affirmation creates an appetite for more until work becomes the reigning passion of a person's life, while everything else recedes into insignificance. Living in a constant fear of failure, chained to the valuations of others, our lives become filled with anxiety and caught up in a web of pretense. Um, that's another quote from Hardy about how serving success and glory is an empty and fleeting idol. It's not going to provide fulfillment. The third um, specific idol uh, that I mentioned we'll talk about is security. And um, so often that sense of security can be what drives us what's our functional God. Um, kind of to the point that Ed was making, you know, um, in Counterfeit Gods, Tim Keller recounts a whole bunch of different stories from the 2008 economic crisis where um, you had the string of suicides of people that um, had been, you know, formerly wealthy, well-connected, that their security was in their work or their material possessions, um, and you have them committing suicide because they no longer had that security, what they looked to for their worth, for their identity. Um, the security that they had in their position um, was gone. And they, as a result, felt like they no longer had anything worth living for. Um, and that demonstrates the effects of losing what you believe is the most ultimate thing. Um, Keller writes that when you lose the ultimate source of your meaning or hope, there are no alternative sources to turn to. It breaks your spirit. So many of us cling to our work as our security or our identity. Um, it provides what we need in this temporal, temporal life, um, so we look to it as our provider. Uh, David Paulson writes, when a need for security propels my life or a segment of my life, I am engaging in religious behavior. Rather than serving the true God, the God I serve is the approval and respect of others. I am an idolater. I am motivated by a need for security. I am motivated by a lust for security rather than ruled by God. And again, I think that this is a... Um, Comfort is really kind of a cultural idol for us. Um, you know, everything we seem to do is driven towards being comfortable and secure. Um, you know, if you watch a single commercial, I, I know commercial breaks are kind of becoming more and more a thing of the past. Um, but, uh, you know, you watch a commercial break on television, you see just a plethora of things that the world is saying, you need this to be more comfortable and to be more secure. And we often view our work as service to that, that God of comfort. Um, and when that is threatened, 
Um, we may not be tempted to throw ourselves off of the top of a building, um, but when our security is in our work um, and that is threatened, then we do experience a sense of despair and of um, that something's missing from our identity. And I think that we see this, um, you know, when when people change jobs or when there's some you know major, major disruption of your work, um, and uh, or there's uncertainty about what's going to happen next, um, all of those things can expose where our hope is. You know, is our hope in, you know, that I have um, this particular task or set of tasks to do, or is my hope ultimately in Christ and can I trust Him to direct my path? and to um, lead me. I know that when we first moved to Las Vegas, we came out here to um, work for, uh, I came out here to work for a judge. It was supposed to be a a one-year clerkship. And so I started, um, started work, and I think it was within three weeks after starting my job, my judge announced that he was going to be moving up to Reno and taking a different um, different seat, essentially. And so for a period of a couple of weeks, it was like he didn't know if we were still going to have a job, like if we were going to have to move, um, all of those things. And it really exposed in our hearts kind of, you know, where's, where's my hope? Um, and so I, I think that um, we can probably see that when oftentimes what is creating anxiety in us that's related to our work um, is because of that um, security that we're finding in in work. Um, Another specific heart idol that exposes, um, that work exposes is control. Um, So I think that uh, well, I know that we all want to feel like we are in control of our lives, that we, um, uh, you know, have some, some control over what's going on. And work often gives us that because it's usually an area where, you know, this is what I do. This is what I spend most of my time doing. I'm comfortable doing this. I, I'm good at doing this. Um, and um, often that desire um, is is exposing uh, something that is really a farce. Like, we don't have control over anything. (laughs) And, um, you know, it could be... um, I mean, it can be a variety of different things. I I, I think that uh, we, we tend to think that we're in command of our own destiny. We like to think that we... Um, can make decisions, that we can do the things that are going to, um, you know, point our life in the direction that we want it to go. And um, the reality is that that um, ultimately we have very little control. And, um, you know, I see people in my own work experience where just the um, opportunity to, say, control other people um, you see that kind of uh, this idol pop up um, where 
you know, people like to be in charge. They like to tell other people what to do. They like to, um, they take joy out of um, controlling others. And so it, we look for our work often to give us some sort of autonomy, when in reality, um, we're not autonomous. It's uh, a myth, um, no matter how in control um, you think you are. Um, another one, not one of the four I mentioned, but the, one of the ones that I, I kind of popped into my mind this week as I was, have a, I've had a really very, very busy week, and um, it, it exposed in my own heart my laziness, because I was like, you know, I don't like having to work hard all the time. Like, I like doing the tasks that are easy, that I can just kind of go into autopilot and do. And it was exposing in my heart that, you know, I would rather do um, these other things. Um, you know, I'd rather just sit down and watch something on Netflix. Um, and uh, it really just showed the sinfulness of my heart and, and what really was just an attitude of laziness. Um, and, uh, and that's not what God had for me this week. He had, he had for me to work hard. And, um, so, um, what are some other areas that maybe you see in your own lives or around you that, that work kind of exposes that idolatry, um, that, uh, maybe the things that you see yourself or others um, trusting in or loving, obeying in the context of work. Bob? I've had a, a period or two during my work history when I was a, a victim of a reduction in force and I was temporarily out of work until I found another mm -hmm. job. And, and I had to remind myself and sometimes be reminded by others that my worth was not my associated with the work that, right. that I that God valued me just as much whether I was employed or, or not. Yep, that's absolutely right. That I, really, I'd expose that to me that, that I, I was, my worth was kind of tied up in what I do. So, so not only not only can a person be uh, tied up with what they do when they're un, unemployed yeah. for a period of time, they can uh, they can have a, it can really uh, be exposed then more, more so than sometimes when you're fully employed. Yeah, our self-identity can just be so, I mean, I know that just in like Michelle and I's conversation, so she works at home, stays home with the kids, and I, you know, have a traditional kind of job out in the workplace, and for both of us, we can very easily be just so wrapped up, our self-identity can be just tied up in the work that we're doing, whether it's me um, you know, at the law firm or her, you know, taking care of the home and the children. Like, um, they, we just wrap up our identity so much in our work. Toad? I, I, I didn't get to hear a whole lot of what you said because of my hearing. But growing up, my father beat it into me that we created our own love. Okay? So, for many years, through my times in Nob, riding motorcycles, whatever, it was luck that made me be here instead of there, made me 
not be in this accident, made me do a good job here or there. And it wasn't until I started going to church that a lady said to me, Toad, it has nothing to do with luck. It has to do with being blessed. And I think at that moment I realized that my idols had been my ability to stay out of the bad spots or do the good jobs or whatever. Yeah. And it had not a whole lot to do with me. I still find myself at times going, well, I am doing a pretty good job, but then I have to put a caveat, <laughs> and that is I do a worse job if God wasn't here helping me. Yeah. So I, 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 think, I think my luck wasn't idle to me that never dawned on me. Yeah. I did for the longest time. Well, and, and I... Sometimes I wonder why I really am blessed. <laughs> Well, I think that the, I mean, one of the reasons why it's helpful to have, like, to look at this is because this is something we have to keep coming back to because it's not like we, um, be like, okay, I no longer am finding my identity and worth in my work. And then, you know, you're not going to struggle with that anymore. Yeah. That's, that's just not true. It's a, it's a daily, um, challenge. And I think you go back to that warning in, uh, first John and, you know, Guard yourself from idols because it's something that is, you know, there all the time that we have to struggle with. Sure. This one might come under the more category of like success or glory, but I just think specifically of the issue of of your image. Um, I just feel like nowadays, especially with social media and things like that, there's all these different images that you can, you know, sort of have, and whether it's like healthy living or you know your uh, physical fitness or, you know, being an adventurer, having a Pinterest perfect house or having well-behaved kids, whatever it is, it's like we sort of tend to like find this image that we want to have and then we work so hard to to fight for it and then also to protect it. And um, again, it's like not like any of those things in themselves are bad, but if that's what we are, I find myself often just being so, you know, if my that's what's making me anxious, or that's what you know, failure in that area is um, determining my happiness, then I can see that that is is an idol. But so easily, you know, we just kind of, especially with social media, it's like you choose this image, and then your work you're working to maintain that image. Mm-hmm. And, um, I just think it's a anyways. It's probably another category of one of the idols. What's the other one you said? But that specific thing, I think, is a Mm-hmm. Very real issue, especially for um, young young people. I think, especially today. All right. Um, in a social setting where you meet new people, and you get, uh, if somebody says, "Well, tell me about yourself," ten times out of right. nine, they'll leave. Yeah. What they do for a living because that's that defines that person. You know what they're what they do. You're assuming that people start with, tell me about yourself. Generally, what I say is, what do you do for work? <laughs> that's that's my default is like, you know, so what do you do? But if somebody were to ask, yeah. tell me about yourself, that's what they say anyway. Yeah. Megan? Um, I was going to say, I was listening to a sermon on greed earlier this evening. It was talking about how um, our, like, cultural idols often like seeking happiness. Like, other mm-hmm. cultures have their own focused on that as much, and I think we often find that in our, by our side happiness in our work, 
but it was saying that um, we're like the richest country that is the world we've ever seen, but we're also like the most unhappy. Yeah. Ultimately, all of these idols, everything we've talked about, it's going to be unfulfilling. Like it will not bring fulfillment to anybody that's pursuing these things, because ultimately we can only find fulfillment in in Christ. And I'm a little over, but let me just wrap up real quick. Um, so what do we do with these idols? Um, beyond just acknowledging the proclivity of our hearts to stray, we must change our view of work and view it as a form of worship. Um, when, uh, or the matter of the, the fact of the matter is that when we are worshiping something, we are worshiping something when we work. This ties directly to our understanding of vocation. Um, Colossians 3:23 through 24 tells us that whatever you do, uh, do your work heartily for to the as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. So there's no ambiguity in Scripture um, that whatever we're to do, all kinds of work included, can be and ought to be for the worship of God. So He's our ultimate boss. Um, and uh, he's going to give us our ultimate uh, evaluation and review in terms of, in work terms. Uh, Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. So the best thing we can do is live as sacrifices that please him, even as we work. Um, and, uh, but we have to do more than just repent of those idols. We have to um, set our hearts on Christ. We have to replace those things that are important to us and fix our eyes on Jesus. Um, again, quoting from Keller, Jesus must become more beautiful in your imagination, more attractive to your heart than your idol. That is what will replace your counterfeit gods. If you uproot the idol and fail to plant the love of Christ in its place, the idol will grow back. So, um, yeah, I don't want to go any longer, but thanks everyone. Let's uh, end in prayer. Dear Father, we thank you that uh, you have called us, um, that you have um, given us yourself, um, that we can find fulfillment and peace and security and, and hope um, in something in that is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we pray that as we think about our work and the idols that it exposes in our hearts, that we would be motivated to fix our eyes on Jesus. And as we go now to worship, that we would um, prepare our hearts and that uh, you would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen.